As you're taking your seats, James chapter 4, if you want to grab your Bible, James chapter 4. Two verses today, James 11 and 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you, or the words will be on the screen in just a moment. And I know we got a lot of people traveling, and uh, I think they timed it that way, because this might be the toughest two verses in James, and uh, a little hard to swallow, a little hard to preach. And so... Uh, You guys came ready, though, I know. Um, James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. These two verses really function as a transition um, in what we have been looking at. It kind of concludes that section, but also kind of, in a way, sets us up for these next couple of weeks. But today's title is The Judge. Today's title is The Judge. There was this fourth grade class that was on field trip. And their field trip was to the local courthouse. And they were walking through the courtroom and everything. And the the leader who was leading the field trip and the tour was just talking through everything about the courtroom and the lawyers and the process and everything. Well, this fourth grade boy in the group, he, uh, during the talk, slips away and slips up and sits in the judge's chair. Gets a lot of wind air in his lungs, straightens his back all high and mighty, puts his arms on the table there in front of him, and declares in one loud voice, I am the judge now. Meaning, in that fourth grade mind of his, meaning that he would get to decide what or who is right or wrong as he sees it. Now, we know that's foolish. We know that's silly, childish, funny, because that boy probably doesn't know the first thing about the work, the discernment, the wisdom, the knowledge, and the objectivity needed to make decisions or judgments between who's in the right and who's in the wrong. In other words, there is a judge, and that little fourth grade boy ain't him. Now, if we were to examine everything, for many of us, we're not too far off from that boy. When it comes to the church, when it comes to our fellow brothers and sisters, many of us have slipped into the judge's seat, gotten all this air in our lungs, straightened our backs all high and mighty, putting our arms on the table, and have declared with one loud voice, I'm the judge now. Meaning I get to decide what or who is right or wrong as I see it. And we struggle with this because it's at the core of the human sinful flesh nature. It's part of the earthly in us, the rebellious nature that we all possess. I mean, you've got to go all the way back to the garden. Genesis 3, right? The serpent comes to Eve and says, listen, did God really tell you you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And what does the woman tell that sneaky serpent? We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Satan's response, the ultimate slanderer, the ultimate accuser, the evil one, responds, you will not certainly die. 
For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. Ah, and you will be like God. Knowing, or better yet, judging good and evil. Ah, you will be the judge. Deciding right from wrong. Who's right, who's wrong, who's in the right, who's in the wrong. Hear this as you see it. And soon after this, you see the effects of this in full action. As Cain does what? He kills Abel. Because he made an internal judgment as he saw it. Not as God saw it. And that judgment led to an external evil murder of his brother. And we still struggle with this today. We make judgments as we, as we see it. And it's leading to, as James would say, fights, quarrels, slander, evil. And James is about to remind us how foolish it is for us to try and play the judge. Because there is a judge And we ain't him. So look at James chapter 4, verse 11. This is what he writes. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Don't speak evil about one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges the law. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, you're not obeying it, but you're now sitting in judgment on it. You're now setting yourself up as the judge to judge it. Verse 12, there's only one lawgiver. There's only one judge. And he is the one who is able to save and able to destroy. But you, meaning that's not you, but you, who are you? To judge your neighbor. A few things to break down with this. Because people take these words and they run with them in ways they should not. James is not saying, you do you. He's not saying, you go and live your truth. Who are people to say otherwise? Who is anyone to tell you how to live your life? Who are you to judge me? Truth is relative. Everyone just needs to look the other way. That's not what James is saying, especially in the context of the church. All throughout the New Testament, we are repeatedly shown and told that the Christian journey, it's personal, but it's not private. It's personal, but not private. Now listen, sure, there are some things between you and God, yes, But generally speaking, you and I as new creations in Christ are called to live in community. We're called to encourage one another, to spur one another on towards loving good works, to confess sins to one another, to take off the old, to put on the new, to speak and live like Jesus in everything and in all things, to speak the truth in love, to live this new life out in community. There are over 50 one another commands in the New Testament. And you and I cannot obey those privately. It's personal, but it's not private. Listen, generally speaking, 
in the Christian walk, we're called to live in community. We're called to live like Jesus, speak and act like him in that community. And sometimes, often really, we need the help, the encouragement, sometimes the rebuke from our brothers and sisters, all of us. If we're to speak and act like Jesus in all things and in everything, we need each other. So James is not saying, hey, everyone just go live their own truth and let everyone just be. He's not saying that. He's not saying, hey, don't confront your brother or sister's known sin. I say known because I don't know your private sin, but I do know your known sin. He's he's not saying don't confront each other in your known sin. That's not what he's saying. Now, there is a proper way to confront your brother or sister's known sin. Jesus lays it out explicitly in Matthew 18. And when we do go down that path, we had better make sure our own junk is taken care of. In other words, before you start helping each other with the specks of dust in each other's eyes, and we should, we better make sure the plank of wood is dealt with first in our own life. But James is not saying, hey, everyone just go live however they want, whenever they want, wherever they want, and everyone else just look the other way. Nor is James saying, don't judge Period. We use judgment every day. We have to. Buy this house or buy that house? Do I buy this car or do I buy that car? Do I take this route to work or do I take that route to work? Do I marry this person or do I marry that person? Do I become friends with this person or not? Do I buy this sandwich bread or do I buy that sandwich bread? You make a judgment. You look at all possible variables. You utilize discernment and wisdom. You make the decision based on that judgment. Which house or car or route or person or piece of bread is a better fit for you? Is right for you? James is not saying don't judge, period. You couldn't function in this world. That's not what he's getting at. James has something specific in mind. And it's built on Jesus' teaching, and it's built all the way going back to the book of Leviticus. But he has something specific in mind, something that goes all the way back even to the beginning, to the days of Adam and Eve, to the actions of Cain towards Abel. He is coupling slander with judgment. So it's a type of judgment coupled with slander. And that's a big deal. And this is deep for James. It's a deep internal kind of problem. Remember, he's already broken down the progression of sin. We looked at this great progression last week and what causes fights and quarrels among us. It's a deep internal kind of problem that produces external evil or slander. What happened with Cain and Abel? The internal judgment Cain made as he saw it It led to the external killing of his brother. And that, figuratively speaking, happens in churches all the time. We make an internal judgment about someone or some people as we see it, and then we externally crucify them with our words. That, in essence, is slander. And James is saying that cannot be. We belong to God now. As John would say, we are born of the Spirit. 
We are to live and speak, as we've already seen, heavenly wisdom. Not this evil or slander towards our brothers or sisters. That specific word he uses there, to speak evil against or to slander, it's a word that means to create a false narrative, a false perception, a false story about someone, so as to stain their life or reputation. It's to speak something that is false or exaggerated in order to cause harm. Ultimately, though, in order to elevate yourself over another. And this can happen easier and more often than we might expect. Whether we're consciously trying to do it or subconsciously trying to do it. Remember what God told Cain. Sin's crouching at your door. It's waiting to devour us. But I'll give you a few examples of how this might happen. Let's imagine you're driving in traffic. And you're driving in traffic, and this guy cuts you off. This happened to some of you this week. This, this is me telling you exactly what happened this week. And, and your response was anger. How dare he do that to me? How dare he cut me off? And you proceed to maybe vocally in your car or internally in your thoughts, you begin to vocalize slander accusations. You begin to say things and almost curse this other person driving the car that you don't even know who they are, hopefully. And you start internally judging them, that person driving the car as you see it. Well, they got to be a Philadelphia Eagles fan, right, for them to do that. Sorry for you Eagles fans. They must be a Kansas driver, right? Sorry if you're from Kansas. That's just growing up in Ponga City. If there is some bad, that's just what people said, right? Which, by the way, I've never done this before. But then you get to work, and you've equated this one driver then to all drivers. And then you start that water cooler talk. Oh, man, these drivers these days, they don't care about anyone. They're disrespectful. They're always running through the red lights. They're always, it's all of them. And you just go on and on and you begin to create this narrative and you slander and you crucify this driver and all drivers like them, creating either a false or exaggerated narrative all around this one incident, this one person. But let's back up. And hypothetically speaking, what if in the back seat of that guy's car was his wife? And she was in active labor. And he's never been a dad before. And he's rushing to get to the hospital. And so he's trying to navigate his way through traffic. And what if him cutting you off had nothing to do with you personally? What if him cutting you off had nothing to do with what kind of a man he is? What if everything you said to yourself and to your coworkers and the narrative you created was completely false or exaggerated at best? And that from that limited perception and false judgment, you externally crucified him with your words. In the same way Cain did with Abel. That's what James is talking about. 
that kind of slander and judgment cannot be present in the church. He's addressing the church here. Among brothers and sisters in Christ, it's that kind of judgment that caused Cain to destroy Abel, which causes so many brothers and sisters to destroy each other. Listen, we don't know all the intentions. We don't know all the facts or the situation in its entirety. We don't know everything about everything. We don't know the motivations of the heart, the events, the circumstances that led to this moment. Now, that driver might have been some mean person who was just out to cut you off and had ill will in his heart. He may not have had justification for what he did. There may need to be consequences for what he did. But that's not James's point right here. That person might be in the wrong. They might need to repent or something said or done. But do we, in our situation and from our angle, do we know everything about the situation to make a pure, objective judgment? And even if we do, it doesn't give us the right or the justification to enact condemnation on them and elevation for us over them. Who are we to take the judge's seat and declare anyone ultimately righteous or unrighteous as we see it? Who are we but sinners also saved by grace? That's James' point. That was God's point with Cain. Who do you think you are? That you decide what's right and wrong. Who's righteous or not? Who deserves to be saved or destroyed? I'll give you another more personal example. I was at a Brahms in Blackwell just several years ago. And I was standing in line waiting to get a cup of ice cream. And I was standing next to about a 75, 80-year-old guy. He was right in front of me. And we're sitting there waiting. And there was a teenager behind the counter, probably 16, 17-year-old kid, super nice guy. Super nice. He was friendly to everybody. He was smiling. He was energetic. He just seemed like he enjoyed his job. So he walks up to the guy next to me and says, hey, sir, how are you doing today? What can I get you? That's all he said. And for no reason whatsoever, the guy next to me, loud enough to only me, him, and the teenager, and God heard it, said in a very derogatory tone, wipe that something smile off your face. I, I was beside myself, right? I, I was like taken aback, like, what is going on? The teenager was beside himself. We looked at each other, and I wanted to shout, he's not with me, all right? He's not <laughs> with me, okay? We had this moment, I was just like, man, just, just get him the ice cream. I don't know what's going on here. And I was beside myself. And so I go back, time moves on, I get my ice cream, and I, and I go back, and I slander him to the person I was with. And said, man, he was this, that, or the other. He deserves this, that, or the other. I internally judged that he was this terrible guy, slandered him. 
But let's back up. What if this gentleman had just buried his last child that morning? What if two years prior, after an eight-year battle with cancer, he buried his wife? What if he just discovered in the previous weeks that his retirement with the company that he gave 45, 50 years to, that his retirement account had shrunk so much that he didn't even know where he was going to be living six months from now? What if he was just having a really, really awful day? Now, that doesn't give him justification for what he said, and I'm guessing that's probably not the situation. But again, James' point is, yes, they might be in the wrong. They might need to repent or something, of something said or done. There might need to be consequences to their actions. That, might, that guy may have just been a really mean dude who needs Jesus. But we don't know. And that, in a way, is the point. We don't know everything about everything. For us, us, to declare someone, oh, he's righteous, they're not. Oh, they deserve salvation, they don't. And even if we did, it doesn't give us the right or the justification to enact condemnation on them and elevation for us over them. There's only one judge, James is saying. He's the one who condemns or saves saves, or who has the right to declare someone righteous or unrighteous. He's the one who's elevated over all, and we're not him. I'll give you one more example. There was a guy on the side of a road who had nothing and needed everything. And one guy comes, sees him, and crosses the street and keeps moving. Another guy comes, sees the man who's lost everything, has nothing, crosses the road, and continues on. And imagine they arrive at where they're going. And after having made an internal judgment, which they did, that's why they crossed the road, They then externally slander the guy. They proceed to crucify that man in their hearts and minds and with their words, having made that internal judgment as they saw it. Ah, what a bum. Just like all the other beggars these days, always wanting and needing and asking. Why doesn't he just get a job? Quit being lazy or making bad decisions. Quit hanging around the wrong crowd. Why doesn't he just pull up his bootstraps and get to work? Why does he got to be a nuisance to me and get in my way? You know what? He probably deserved what he got or deserved where he's at. But let's back up. What if the guy had been a successful businessman? Strong leader in his community. Strong family. Strong role model. Who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Was beaten up, robbed, and left for dead. And here they are. They just externally destroyed him, so to speak, after internally making a judgment as they saw it. 
And we might say, well, Jonathan, I know that story, and they didn't say those things. Well, sometimes your internal judgment of someone is evident in your external silence towards them. You can slander someone without having ever said a word to them. And we might even argue in their defense, yeah, but they didn't know the context. How could they have known? It happened before they got there. That's the point. Why do you think Jesus told the story in such that, that way? He told that story of the Good Samaritan in response to a guy who was looking for justification to make an internal judgment as he saw it. To declare for himself who he believed deserved to be loved. Deserved to have grace and mercy extended to them. He wanted to decide who did not deserve it. He wanted to be Cain. He wanted to be Adam and Eve biting into that fruit. I want to play God. He wanted to manipulate or use the law given to us by God to his own advantage to elevate himself over others. And James is reminding us once again what Jesus reminds us of, that that cannot be us. We're called to love our neighbor, especially our brother or sister in Christ. We're called to be like the good Samaritan who stopped, who got involved, who got to know the story, who listened to the story, the full story, who invested. We're called to love just as Jesus loved us. In all things and everything, we're called to extend grace just as grace has been extended to us, mercy as it's been extended to us, the benefit of the doubt as it's been extended to us, patience and humility as it's been extended to us, compassion, empathy, sympathy, just as it's been extended to us. We're to love just as that love has been extended to us. Wretched, woeful sinners who don't deserve anything. We're to assume the best, hope for the best. We're not called to manipulate the law to our own advantage so as to say when it applies and when it doesn't, especially so as to consciously or subconsciously elevate ourselves over another human being. We're not called to set ourselves up in the judge's seats and decide for ourselves what or who is deserving of being destroyed or being saved. Especially when it comes to our brothers and sisters. It, it's as Peter said, you are free, yet you're God's slaves. You still belong to God though, but you're free. So don't use your freedom as an excuse or justification to do evil, or as James would say, or to speak evil. Instead, respect everyone and love the family of believers. Slander, coupled with judgment towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, 
it's evil. It's earthly wisdom. It's of the flesh. Again, it's of Satan, the devil, who is the ultimate slanderer. Remember, we belong to God now. We are to live according to the heavenly nature in us, according to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. We're to speak the truth in love, as Paul would say. So let us speak and act according to heavenly wisdom. In every situation, dealing with every person, That doesn't mean we're not to confront or help each other. Again, as I said earlier, it doesn't mean that there aren't consequences to actions or words that are are in the wrong. It doesn't mean that someone is not in the wrong or doesn't need to repent. It means we, us, are not the final authority. We're not the judge. God is. So you remember that fourth grade boy? sitting in that chair. Well, the teacher stopped the tour. She came up to the boy and confronted him him and got onto him and said, get down. That chair is reserved for the judge. Not you. The air escaped his lungs His back slunk down, and he walked in humility off that platform. Some of us need to let the air out of our lungs. We need to let our backs slink down. And we need to walk humbly off the stand, because the chair is reserved for the judge, not us. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward. We're going to have a time of response. (laughs) And some of us, we just need to reorient our dispositions. Our hearts and our minds are not in the right place. The way we've been perceiving people and situations, we've taken the judge's seat. And as James would say right before this, we just need to humble ourselves, come before God, seek God. Some of us have some things to repent of, some things we've said. The internal judgments we've made that have externally led to slander. Spoken word of evil against our brother or sister. We've got to repent. For others of us in this place, man, we are still outside of Christ and he's calling us into relationship with him. Maybe that's you. For others of you, maybe it's baptism, just following through your decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior in baptism. For some of you, maybe it's just praying, praying in your seat, praying at these steps. I don't know. But even as I pray, whatever the Spirit's leading you to do, be obedient in that calling. Father, we thank you. We love you. Help us to act and speak like Jesus in everything. Help us to confront evil in the proper way, with the proper attitude and heart. Help us not to condone evil, but to speak the truth in love. But help us not to... 
have a sense of judgment coupled with slander. We confess any sins to you. We repent. We ask for any kind of healing that's needed. And we thank you that the blood from the ground that declared Cain guilty declared all of us guilty for all of us have sinned. We thank you that there is a better blood that in Christ declares us righteous and forgiven, not guilty anymore. We thank you that in Christ there is therefore now no condemnation. So help us then to extend the love and the grace and the mercy and the empathy and the sympathy and the humility and the patience towards each other as you've extended to us. That you would unify us, make us one of heart, soul, mind, strength, and that you get all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. You stand with us as they lead us in a song. You come forward if you need to.